we are in Manuel's sitting room now. Um, thank you for the invitation. Thank you very welcome. The kind host. And thank you for agreeing to be <laughs> on the news segment. Um, yeah, I thought it is time to yeah, make this a community um, a segment. I'm, I'm not interested in the breaking news, be the first to tell you something about about a car or a company or anything. I just want to discuss certain topics. Mm -hmm. So that's why I thought I'd bring you on. And that's why I also would like to invite um, the viewers to share their opinions, um, maybe correct us on, on something. I'm sure we will talk lots of rubbish today. <laughs> and um, yeah, share your opinions. Um, let us know what you think. And um, yeah, let's kick things off with mm -hmm. um, the BMW M5 CS. Um, maybe as a little reminder, we had, there was the BMW M5 and the competition version, the competition spec that was a little more powerful. And now we have the, the CS version. Um, yeah, Chris Harris said that it was pointless because it's a two-ton car and nobody cares if it's 70 kilogram lighter. Um, I tend to agree with him in this case. What is your opinion on that car? I mean, BMWs have always been quite interesting cars in the way they look, in the way they appear, in the way they handle. Like, I think that's one of the, or used to be one of the purest vehicles you can get if you want something rather on the sporty side. Not a hypercar per se, but definitely something that is uh, quite sporty. Um, yeah, on, on the argument about 70 kilos, I mean, I guess the people driving on the roads, they will most likely not even notice those 70 kilos, more marketing. Um, he also like the power figures. I don't think a lot of people on the road will notice it. The people that are really intending to use it on a track, I doubt they will keep it stock. Uh, that's the first thing. Um, and ultimately, again, I mean, for BMW, of course, they can raise the price by another 10 or even 20K just by labeling it and saying it's 70 kilos lighter. Um, Fair enough, I mean, that's how marketing goes nowadays. Yes. But will it have a practical use? I, I don't think so either. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's uh, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head there with the marketing part. Um, it's going to appeal with this, like it's limited, it's a little more powerful, maybe, yeah, and it's, maybe you saw it with the yellow headlights, so it has this, yeah. this special things, and I think that is what's going to make it interesting to people, right? They can say, well, they have a limited, in terms of performance, I don't think, as you said, it really matters yeah. I mean, there's always this aspect of the limited ones that people, it just creates this I want to have it uh, feel. But of course, I mean, there are also tons of us out there that maybe have, I mean, I don't, but maybe they have a normal M5 or even a competition version. And then they still want these nitty gritty details from the CS version to also be on their car, like the yellow headlights, for example. Yes. So it does create a certain, yeah, I want that and I'm sure BMW also gambles a little bit with that, that they will just sell more OEM parts from the CS series that you can put on your normal M5 or the, C, uh, the competition version. Oh, that's an interesting angle, yes, maybe. Let's, um, yeah, let's see what, uh, I mean, how the market will respond. I'm pretty sure we will see reviews soon. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, maybe it will be a big surprise. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next topic that I have here is uh, more uh, motoring related. Uh, it's not about a specific car, um, but 
the FIA uh, with, the form with Formula One and Porsche with Siemens together, they have independently announced that they were going to invest into, um, into synthetic fuels. Now, we talked about it in the German division already, it was about, yeah, we have a certain direction already with um, e-fuels, right, with, uh, with ethanol and methanol. Now, these, the difference here is that it would be a drop-in replacement, right? So it would be just, yeah, carbohydrates um, with carbon from the air and um, um, hydrogen that, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, from certain processes, and so we could create synthetic fuel that we can just yeah, put into our cars. Mm -hmm. Now, what is your opinion? I have the feeling that it is super appealing, it is interesting for maybe, this is always this um, standard use case, right? To say, well, you can keep your classics running longer and right. longer. Um, what do you think? Will we see a widespread adoption of synthetic fuels or is it going to be niche, if at all? It's a difficult question to answer because Personally, I, I think it's a very good thing to do because uh, on one side the resources are limited with the, the oil and everything that we use right now. On the other hand, um, a synthetic fuel, I mean, I do love E85 for example, it's, it's really good. It's actually better than the normal petrol for the normal engine because of the lower fuel uh, burn uh, temperature. But ultimately, um, I think it's my honest and, and forward-looking statement. I'm afraid that it will not become a widespread thing because of politics. Because I've seen it and I'm sure like forever you, you guys are from, um, it's probably very similar. Um, but here in, in Europe, um, we have this trend that the government is supporting uh, whenever you buy an electric car. So they want, their vision is with this uh, CO2 reductions and everything, um, to basically relocate where the CO2 is happening. So today with petrol, you burn it by using it. So you have the CO2 here in this country. But with electric cars, since the batteries, which is the majority of CO2 created on an electric car, um, that is somewhere in China or I don't know where else they are being built, probably South America. Um, so you produce it there, meaning it's not a problem for, in our case, Switzerland. Um, and the only thing that will continue to produce CO2 is basically the creation of, or the, the charging of the batteries. So also here, um, I would love to see more synthetic fuel. I think it will be, it will be necessary to switch to it at some point, um, either to just preserve the natural resources of oil that we have for a longer period of time, or to, to have a replacement wherever it works. Well, of course, not every, I mean, it depends what this replacement would be, what it consists of and everything. But if we take, for example, E85, um, you can't just put it in any car because the fuel lines, the injector, like all these things need to be able to work with the stronger acid aspect from the alcohol that you have inside. So, um, of course, if that replacement would be so awesome that you literally could pour it into a 1950s car and work and nothing would break. Perfect. That's the big selling point of these, of these, uh, of these kind of synthetic fuels because, yeah, they, the structure they are exactly the same as the petrol or diesel we use today. Um, of course, I think it also depends on, um, yeah, how do the, how do we make progress or how much progress we make with um, producing these things. So, for example, hydrogen is still a problem yep. to this day. Um, I'm also not sure how well this, how well uh, these systems to capture CO2 from 
the air, how well those work already. So um, yeah, it's difficult to say. I think it also depends on that one. And, Absolutely. and one, one aspect is definitely that uh, yeah, we are being um, gently, or not so gently, nudged towards EVs yeah. or battery EVs. So um, yeah, it's, I see your point and it's probably going to be difficult and we'll have to, to wait and see how it goes. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of synthetic fuels, there was an announcement of Porsche, um, another one, um, a little more exciting maybe, <laughs> because their new GT3 um, Cup racer can run on synthetic fuels already. Um, they have, a, a, it's supposed to be, of course, quicker and everything. One interesting figure that I have, apparently they have sold 4,251 cars of the previous generation. I think which is a, which is a high number, which is, very good uh, number, very high number for a race car. Yeah, four thousand units of a race car. So, wow. What do you think of? What do you make of these these cars? GT3 Cup Racer. Is that something that appeals to you? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, if, if I was not a petrol head, I would probably say no. But I'm definitely a petrol head. Though I, I'm not, I'm not a Porsche driver, but. There are like certain aspects on Porsches that are that's definitely nice. Um, I definitely like the name, where it came from, and everything. That story is super interesting. Um, of course, like always, these more exclusive, more special, racy type vehicles, um, it definitely appeals to me. Um, I would want to drive one if I could. Maybe we'll get a chance at one day. I don't know. I never say never. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a class that I can't afford um, to buy. But um, it definitely appeals to me, and I would, as I said, I would love to drive one um, just to get a feeling on how does it drive. Well, what are the differences, especially because uh, my RX7, for example, it's it's old. I mean, let's be honest, that car is is soon going to be 30 years old in two years' time. So uh, technology changed a lot, and uh, I mean, I'm struggling with the newer cars mostly because of the computer assistance that you nowadays have. A lot of it feels artificial, like you don't get the pure driving excitement anymore, at least in my opinion, um, which on an RX-7 or, or any kind of 80s, 90s vehicle is a lot different. But of course, they are by no means uh, as quick and as advanced as the modern vehicles are. I think that is one part, um, I, we might speak uh, a little bit later about it as well, um, when we come to new cars this year. But um, I think that is also one aspect that is appealing to, to petrol cars, even if they are not Porsche people, because they were able to keep certain distinctive features of Porsches, like the naturally aspirated engine in GT3 and the manual gearbox that you can still um, you still find Porsche. Um, yeah, we will talk later about it again mm -hmm. um, when we speak about new cars. Um, in the meantime, let's stick with Porsche. Mm -hmm. um, they have announced they will be back at Le Mans. All right. Um, what was it this year or next year? And, um, with the new class, which is the, I mean, actually there were new two new classes. So one is the Le Mans Hypercar class, where the Aston Martin um, Valkyrie was supposed to um, to compete. Um, Toyota joined the Hypercar class, and then also there's the LMDH, so the Le Mans Daytona um, hybrids. And Porsche is going to join the latter ones. Um, yeah, so people, I think they are scared now that Porsche is joining. Um, how do you feel about Le Mans in general? What is your feeling towards that uh, that series? Are you 
do you watch do you watch it? What do you think about this cars? Are you happy about the replacement? Did you prefer the previous prototypes? I mean, I personally, I was always a big fan of the prototypes. Um, not only did they look completely crazy, both negative and positive, of course, um, but I think it also gave um, the, men, the, the, the mobile automotive producers, so the ones that are creating these prototypes, but also the consumers, um, they gave a bit of an outlook. Now, of course, we will never see any uh, LMP1 prototype car on the streets. Um, that's very unlikely happening at all. But I think there are just learnings from these classes that will, going forward, be part of our vehicles that we buy and we drive. Um, I think there's a lot of, of knowledge really being generated by these prototypes that are built, that are raced. And that also comes a little bit towards um, how I stand with, with Le Mans. Um, I always wanted to visit it once, like to be physically there, um, because I had a friend that regularly went there um, who was a big fan of it. And from his sayings on the experiences he makes and everything, it, it sounded awesome. Um, just never could do it so far. Um, and on the other hand, um, I, I did watch it here and there on TV, but I was not the, the one that was sitting 24 hours in front of the TV to just watch um, how they drive. Um, but I, I find it in general a very interesting concept because on one side it's a, an endurance race. So the cars, they have to work 24 hours. If they don't work, they will not make it to the finish line. Like Toyota proved a few years ago when they, um, yeah, when they dropped out the race in the last time. Exactly. Um, or then you have happenings like with the Mercedes that went flying. Oh, yes. um, like all these things. Um, even if they're good or bad, it doesn't quite matter in this case, but I think there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of learnings that we take from these races. That's why I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Plus, it's again, it's something different than your average circuit race that lasts like an hour or two, for example, Formula One, um, but also they have a certain aspect to them that is, of course, very interesting. And then, of course, um, one event that I highly value in terms of Le Mans of course um, the win of, of Mazda in the early 90s, the one and only win from a non-piston um, engine driven car. Okay. Was that with the 787? That's what with the 787, exactly. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of rotaries, I can't hide it and I love the sound that these things make, especially the 787. Um, so that, that is one of those things that I, that I really like to watch back or think back. Um, so yeah, overall I think it's a good thing having Le Mans, um, even with the new classes, I think it makes sense. I mean, the principle of getting knowledge, seeing how certain constructions, how certain, well, anything really that goes with the car, um, how robust, how sturdy are they, how good do they work in something that lasts for 24 hours. And I think that is a value and a knowledge and experience that any car really, or any car producer really needs in order to build good cars. I grew up with the GT1 racers, so the McLaren F1, the AMG, CFAMG, GTR, and the Porsche 911 GT1. So um, when they said that they were going to do the Slimo hypercar class, I was thinking of those times. That's why I was excited that Aston Martin would join with the Valkyrie and uh, yeah, Toyota would build the car, the GR10. Um, um, and um, Glickenhaus is joining there. But yeah, it's, times have changed, of course. It's not, yeah, you, they don't enter things, although the, um, the 
organizers have realized that it's difficult maybe to bring road cars into this, especially since road cars these days are even faster than the race cars. Um, so yeah, from, I'm, I'm struggling a bit. On the other hand, I, I also uh, see your point. So I remember Nissan's entries the last few years. So they joined with the Delta Wing, I think, twice. And once with this front wheel drive mm -hmm. uh, gyro uh, <laughs> car that did not work, but I liked the creativity of it. Right. Um, so yeah, let's see how it will work. I mean, with two classes competing for uh, for top position, let's see how it goes. I'm, it, for me, it will be a reason to maybe check in again. Absolutely. See how it goes. Absolutely. <laughs> let's see. Now, speaking of racing and Formula One, you mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, did you did you watch Formula One this year? How much did you watch? Did you? No, not too much. I mean, I did I did catch glimpses of, of the races, but again, I was no position to, to really watch each race all the time. Um, for that, I have to be honest that the new Formula One regulations since the turbocharged cars, they're just no, not so exciting anymore. Plus, of course, you have the, the, the other aspect that it's kind of always the same driver who wins. <laughs> so <laughs> I moved a bit away from, from watching the Formula One in that sense. It is very interesting that you bring up the turbocharged engine because that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Um, in Abu Dhabi, so the last race of the season, and um, as a as a side event or a, an attraction, the, uh, the Renault team they brought um, one of the V10s back. Oh, and nice. had the blast around it. Hamilton was giving an interview and he heard the car flying by and he was, uh, yeah, it was nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. And it's definitely, I mean, I had forgotten a bit about those times, but it was a, a very impressive reminder of how it used to be to, Absolutely. Yeah, to watch Formula One. It was just something very distinctive. Um, I'm not sure if you have uh, seen the Top Gear episode where they drive hot hatchbacks from Italy to um, Monaco mm -hmm. and they are somewhere in the mountains mm -hmm. and from far away they can hear the, 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 the cars blasting around and I think that's, I mean it's certainly impressive right, it, it is, is, uh, it is uh, menacing and, and wondrous, yeah old times but I think those are gone. Unfortunately yes, I mean noise is becoming more and more of a problem, at least if you talk to the people. Um, but I'm, I'm absolutely with you. I, I always remember this one video um, from, from a guy who built a four-rotor uh, RX-7 in the States. Uh, shout out to David Mazzi, if you watch the video. Um, he built the Formula 7. That, that's the name of, of his car. And uh, basically his intention was really that the sound this car produces is as close to the old Formula 1 as possible and in one of his videos um, he was showing a comparison where you're in Spa Francochamps and basically in the, in the motodrome where you go across the start finish line you have the 180 degree turn and then it goes a bit down you have a corner before you hit hard the brake hard and then you have the left right going up again and then long straight and the camera was basically positioned just where you, you go around the 180 degree turn and then accelerate full speed and then he was showing, I don't know how many years back it was, but he was showing 
Formula One cars from the very old times to the more modern times, and then ultimately you have the turbocharged Formula One car. And the, the sound, like, there's no means does a YouTube video sound as good as in real life. But just watching this footage on the old Formula One vehicles, you really got goosebumps because it sounded so good. And then you had like the turbocharged car that has absolutely no comparison in terms of sound than the old cars. Yeah, they are as quick or even quicker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But in, just in terms of uh, emotional or being emotional affected, um, they have no chance. Yeah, I agree. Okay, now let's speak about, or let's talk about um, a few cars that uh, are coming this year, um, 2021. Um, I have noted a few of them so yeah let just let me let us know what you think about them so the first entry that i have here is bmw with the m3 and m4 the new ones mm -hmm. any opinions on those yeah i mean as i said previously um i'm even though i'm not a big bmw fan but i always respected the cars they looked good they they were fast absolutely no thing just on the new ones, um, on the design perspective, I'm, I'm not too fond of it, to be honest. I mean, the typical looks or, or the typical appearance of a BMW war was these um, two front grills um, in the front, obviously. Um, so that, that is what I remember always from BMWs, independently of what year they were from. And it's still the same with the new one, of course. Um, but just the, the shape and, and, and the way they appear I'm not too fond of them, if I'm absolutely honest. Yeah, I can imagine. So, I am still shocked. I cannot say that I got used to them. Maybe over time we will get used to them. And maybe yeah, in some years we will um, even think of them as, as handsome. Um, but let's see, yeah. So, I'm pretty sure they will be fun to drive because they usually absolutely. are. Um, although, all, even with the M3, we are moving now into um, a region where the cars weigh almost two tons. And we're certain they will be fun to drive, as always, but uh, yeah, let's see. Um, um, people are posting pictures of their cars, so delivery has begun. Mm -hmm. So I think we will see reviews soon. Yeah. The next car I have here, and um, it's not exactly a new car, but it is still relatively new for us in Switzerland, and um, with a prospect of a new model arriving soon, the Corvette C8. Mm -hmm. First time mid-engine. What are your thoughts on it? That one. I mean, I'm, I'm in general um, not a big fan of the American vehicles because I mean they have the positivity about it that the technology is rather on the old side. I mean, it's proven it works, um, but that's also the point that it, it's just being the same stuff over and over and over again. But I have to admit, the C8 Corvette it looks astonishing, like really, really good. It, it looks awesome. Um, also, with the with all the technology they now introduced, like the magnetic ride, the the mid-engine uh, layout, finally Corvette was I don't know how to call it, but I'm just glad they finally started to do something different. That is very appealing, and as far as for the reviews that I have seen from the states, um, it is as good as a car as it appears to be. Um, so that makes me really excited about it. And um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see them a bit more often on the street here in Switzerland. I'm sure this will happen as well. And um, I would definitely love to drive, or even as a passenger, um, to, to sit in one at some point and, and just be on the road for, for a few minutes. 
Um, and I'm really looking forward to that car um, because I think it's a, a really great car. Then, if you already like that one, how do you feel about the rumors that say the Z06 will be um, naturally aspirated again? Five and a half liters, rev to nine thousand RPM, flat plane crankshaft. Mm -hmm. um, does it make you more excited even? Of course. Yeah. I mean, Z06 and even the ZR1, um, they're always exciting vehicles. Uh, especially in terms of performance and everything. So yeah, I mean, definitely on the Z06 um, that is naturally aspirated, if that's the case, of course. I think that's a very tempting argument, because again, uh, the, the sound-wise, a turbo-blown, turbocharged, or even a supercharged engine, it's just not producing the same tone as a naturally aspirated one. So I, I'm definitely a fan of it. Uh, definitely love to hear it. Um, and then, of course, we still have the prospect of the potential ZR1, which again likely will be supercharged. Um, which again, I mean, performance-wise, uh, it's it's top-notch. Uh, I'm sure it will be, uh, especially that nowadays we have cars like the the Hellcat or Demon uh, from Dodge. Um, I'm sure if they bring a ZR1, it, it will be quite a number. You know what I'm looking forward to? Um, I'm pretty sure you know the German magazine Sport Auto. Right. Um, what, and I think it's something that they do very often, and I usually don't see in other magazines, is um, pitch the Corvette against the 911. Mm -hmm. And in recent years, the Corvette has done very well, C7. And I think this one will be, I mean, if the Z06 is, turns out to be naturally aspirated, and um, I'm pretty sure it would be a great car mm -hmm. if they do. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the pitch against yeah. the 911 again, and, and maybe since it's naturally aspirated, it would have to be one of the GT yeah. cars. So I'm definitely looking to that comparison. Um, yeah, Sport Auto make it happen, and uh, yeah, if you need somebody who drives those, things, <laughs> um, I think we would be happy to help. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, yeah, looking forward to that one. Now moving to a different continent. And maybe one you, well, when I say Asia, you probably would think of Japan, but well, I am going to talk about South Korea because All right. now the i30M, the facelift awaits, and the brand new i20M. Mm -hmm. What do you think of those cars? I think they're awesome. Like, when, when I bought my, my Focus RS, um, I've, I'm always a fan of the hot hatch class because it's not too big, um, you have enough room, uh, at least for me personally, it's enough room. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm always looking at this segment and when I bought the Focus RS um, I was comparing again vehicles and there was really nothing exciting, especially not from Asia on the market. Um, so in the end the choice was somewhere between like a Golf R and Audi RS3 and see the C45 AMG or the Focus. And, um, and you know me and, and the viewers will get to know me with this video. Well, basically three out of the four um, have one distinctive argument, which is they're not manual. <laughs> and I really like to drive the cars that I want them to be driven <clears throat> and not how a computer is telling it to be driven. Um, so the choice was simply um, going for the Focus RS. Um, so whenever the, the i30N, which is like four years or five years ago, no, it's not that far, like three years, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Somewhere around there. Um, I was really exciting seeing the car. There's one down in the garage from a neighbor. Um, they sound awesome. I hear they handle awesome. So I'm, I'm a big fan of it, uh, especially since up to the point of well, a couple months ago, there was no other equivalent from Japan or from Asia in general. 
that changed a little bit with the GRDRs, obviously. But from that perspective, I think the i30N is an awesome car already how it is. Now it will get even better with the facelift. And of course the i20N was kind of a natural evolution or yeah, kind of evolution from the i30N. I think Hyundai had great sales figures with the i30N. Um, that's why I'm sure the i20N will also be equally good. And I'm really excited to see what other potential models Hyundai will come out with or the N division of Hyundai will come out with in the future. Yeah, I agree. I think Hyundai is very hot right now. Absolutely. And they are on a, on a, I mean, they are having a streak. Um, definitely excited to see what, what else they bring. Maybe yep. even more upmarket, see if they go against BMW. Um, there is one mean saying, right? That people say that Hyundai is building the best BMWs in the market. Right? <laughs> um, okay. So I'm definitely excited to see what uh, what is coming. Now, something a little different, um, with a tiny bit more horsepower, a tiny bit more exotic. Um, I'm speaking about the Lamborghini Huracan, the STO version. Um, maybe you have heard about that one, so it's going to be the 640 horsepower iteration of the V10, but rear-wheel drive only, and it looks absolutely bonkers. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about that car, or maybe Lamborghinis in general? How do you feel about them? So, when I was a child, um, I was always a fan of both the Lamborghinis and at that time also from the Ferraris because they had this, they were just looking distinctive, they were sounding distinctive, they were really special. Um, Ferrari developed in a, in a direction that, I mean, yes, the car are still somewhat special. Um, but it feels more like they've become a bit more mainstream. I mean, it might be that because we're in Switzerland that we just see them quite often. That's why I perceive it to not be so special anymore. Um, but Lamborghini, for example, always still today has this, this, this different air about them. And even though it's not true, but basically whenever I, I listen or, or talk about Lamborghinis, again, if you talk about the old cars, they were always trying to kill you. I think that was also one of the top gear, maybe even Jeremy Clarkson, who was saying like, yeah, you know, like these cars are just trying to kill you all the time. Um, and that's how I perceive Lamborghini, even though, as I said, today they have all these electronical helps and everything. But still, they have this nice sounding V10 sound still. They are still naturally aspirated. They are producing a lot of power with that. Um, and their design is still absolutely bonkers, as you just said. So that's really one aspect about Lamborghini that I like in general. Um, even the new ones, um, they, they look really nice. I really like them. Um, my all-time favorite is still the Sesto Elemento. Okay, uh, it's also V10. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's of course a car I will very likely never own, probably never drive in my life. Um, but that's that's like. From the more modern Lamborghinis, definitely one the, the one I like the most. But having that said, said that even the, the series or large series series of models, um, they still look nice. They appear nice. That's why I, I, I do like them a lot. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And the Sesto is actually a very good uh, a very good example of the one. Uh, yes, yeah, stripped out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mad V10 yeah. in the back and uh, yeah, super light, uh, super quick. It shows very well. <laughs> Thank you. I think we will remember it even more fondly in the future because um, it looks like it's going to be the last Lamborghini V10. That's a bummer. Um, so yeah, 
Aldine are killing the R8. Um, Lamborghini are killing the, the V10, the Huracan. So yeah, it's at least it's a good buy, but what a way to go. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely a vehicle that will sustain, if not raise in value going forward. Definitely. Especially since if it's going to be the last V10 out there from Lamborghini. Speaking of last engines, or certain configurations of engines, I mean, AMG is, has always been uh, famous for their V8s, for their mad V8s. Um, a few years ago they even used to be the 6.2 litre one. Um, then with the downsizing trend they went to the 4 litre V8, but still a V8. And now it looks like the new C63 will be a 2 litre inline 4 hybrid. Um, you, are, you seem to be very excited about that one. Yeah, that's so sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was never, or let me put it this way, when with me growing up, um, I always had this image that Mercedes is more something like for either very old people that need a certain luxurious interior thingy, or um, yeah, just like boring people, um, I have to admit. But I have to say like a couple, well, probably now it's like 10, 15 years ago, I don't know exactly, when they basically started to have this more modern appearance with, with the C-Class and, and, and also the A-Class later down the road. Um, I, I started to, to see Mercedes as a more modern and interesting producer. Um, I was, as I said previously, I was looking at the uh, A45 AMG when I was considering buying a new vehicle, but since it's only available with an automated gearbox and not with the manual one, it, it didn't make it into, into my choice. Um, but I was proud that with these engines and these car configurations, um, they were doing it right. Well, of course, um, the V8 is a—it's an element that was the brand or, or the the sign of, of a Mercedes. And of course, also there, um, this falling away is is not good. It's, it's bad, um, especially for for us petrol heads, because also here the, the sounds those kind of engines are producing. Um, we will definitely miss it. Um, a hybrid will by no means sound any different than one of these. And even the modern 2 liters, I mean, they produce a hell of power. Um, that's a good thing, even for all of us. But um, that um, special model like the C63 uh, AMG, um, at least I hope that Mercedes will not make the mistake and still label it C63. I think they will. Uh, that, that's, that's not a good choice, in my opinion. Um, well, I mean, they they are saying, of course, with, with sticking to C63, they are saying that it's equally fast or even faster. Um, yeah, I mean, the times where where the the badge said what it was or what it had on the hood are long gone. And also with BMW, right? Um, it's a travesty that the 330i is a two-liter in my yeah. right? Um, yeah, I see where you're coming from, and I think the, the the bias that you spoke about, so the boring people, the elderly people, I think they would have never accepted these kinds of Mercedes, yeah. even if they were not sporty, even if they did not care about uh, powerful cars, they would probably not have accepted this kind of development. But uh, I think they also are going with the time, right? I mean, one is legislation, the other is also maybe young people they don't even care anymore what is That's under the bonnet. So they will just care about the horsepower in the end, and yeah, if it delivers more, then it's 
by default better. Right. <laughs> but right. yeah, I'm also super sad that the, the V8 is gone, especially when the downsizing started, right? Audi moved from the V8 to the V6, BMW went back to the inline 6 after the V8, and Mercedes stuck to the V8. So I thought, okay, at least one company is taking things seriously. But it looks like even they have had to give up at some point. It's um, a bummer, really. But I think like, the argument that the, even the modern kids, are, they don't care about like the V8s or fast cars in general too much. I think it's it's a valid argument. Um, I think it's definitely my minority because you hear a lot of kids they don't even intend to get a driver license anymore, That's true. which which is a bummer, especially for us as as petrol heads. So um, yeah, the only thing we can do is is making sure that we still keep the word going that and, and give examples by driving these kind of vehicles um, to show the people that hey. Um, those were emotions that were involved in driving a car and not just the, name, the figures that they are producing. Uh, I think that's, that's our part that we can do. It will obviously not change too much, um, that, that is illusional. Um, but at least we can make a statement and, and try to keep the young generation hooked into nice sounds uh, or nice sounding engines. Um, yeah, keep it going. Yeah, if somebody from the younger generation, I mean, we are not that old actually, but if people from the younger generation would watch this video, they probably would see two ramblings of yeah. ramblings of, two <laughs> of old course. dinosaurs already. <laughs> of course. We are not even that old, which is crazy. Um, let's move on to a company that was, that was able to uh, preserve at least some of their magic um, with, with, let's say, with engines, with manual gearbox. And I'm, of course, uh, speaking about Porsche. Um, so apparently we will, I don't think it will be launched this year, but maybe we will see it or hear more from it. And I'm talking about the Cayman GT4 RS. And some sources claim that it might have a 500 horsepower version of the four liter um, flat six. Um, your thoughts on that one? So as I previously said, the one Porsche, um, I have fond memories of it. Um, what I did not like too much about Porsche in general is that the 911 was still a 911. It, of course, I mean it's it's completely against what Porsche wants to do. They want to keep this design language of the 911 or the Carrera back then um, to keep that going, keep that flowing. I absolutely understand that. Um, I'm more a fan of, of having something something distinctive, uh, not just the same same with a different engine or different engine configuration. That's why when Porsche announced the initial the new Cayman back, back a couple of years ago, I was actually really excited. Um, of course, it was similar to the Boxster. It was just like a half-cooked version of the 911 ultimately. But I like that they tried to introduce a new form. Uh, and that's the, the main thing that I really liked about the Cayman all the time. And that's why um, I'm really, really looking forward to this uh, beefed up version of the Cayman. Because even the current Cayman, um, if you look at some reviews, they were already saying that it's actually not far from the 911. It is similar fast, it is similar powerful, it's very similar um, to the 911, to the flagship model from Porsche. So I'm definitely looking forward to see what this new version of the Cayman can produce. And, and I really love the form and, and the design that the Cayman has brought into the Porsche lineup. This has always been one of my my what ifs, right? What if they let the Cayman compete freely against the 911? And yeah. um, I was certain that it would do very well. So when the first reviews came in from the, um, the 
first generation GT4, everybody was saying that if it was a little more powerful, it would leave the 911 for dead, right? And now if they, I'm, I'm really not sure they will let it have 500 horsepower <laughs> because I think it's getting too close to the GT3 RS. But if it does, I think it's going, it's going to be bonkers. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the launch of that car. Absolutely. And um, yeah, uh, maybe maybe they will let the Cayman run free for once in its lifetime. Um, yeah, super excited for that one. Can I disagree? Yes. And maybe that's also the reason they are introducing the GT3 uh, in a few days, actually. Um, I mean, it's been a while since we stopped with this news, mm. and uh, of course the world has progressed. And yeah, in a few days, um, Porsche is going to show the new 911 GT3. We already mentioned it a little. Um, I haven't been a Porsche um, guy myself. Um, I have never thought about Porsche as, uh, when BMW was um, able to deliver my fix. Okay. But now that they are able to, yeah, turbocharging and smaller engines, and yeah, few and few manual gearboxes, although BMW is still keeping it in the M models at least. But yeah, if, if you want a naturally aspirated engine and a manual gearbox, there's actually only one car maker that, uh, that can help you out. It's Porsche and the Cayman and the 911 GT3. Um, yeah, you already talked about the, the, the GT3 a little. Um, what do you think about this new model? Will it? I mean, I'm pretty sure it will be quicker because the newer version usually is quicker than the previous one but will it be will it be able to deliver the thrills keep in mind it will have to have the petrol particulate filter in the exhaust system yeah what do you think will this be a step forward or is it a step backward now i guess that's quite difficult to say um, obviously i wish that it's a step forward um, and knowing Porsche, well, I don't know them that well, but knowing on, on how Porsche was doing things in the past, I'm sure that will deliver an exciting vehicle um, that will definitely also find its fans and, and everyone else. Um, but under the restrictions that they now need to have, these additional filters and all this stuff, um, I guess I think they will do the best they can out of it um, to keep it as exciting as possible. But ultimately, for us petrol heads, I assume it will not be as exciting of a launch as it was with the previous generation GT3. Simply because, yeah, modern times are catching up. Um, as good as they are on finding uh, workarounds and, and reasons on how to circumvent the restrictions those new technologies bring in, um, I still think that um, they, are, they have restrictions now that they can't completely avoid. So again, I think for the current generation, it will be a great car, especially on the consideration that it's still manual and everything. But um, I'm, I'm sure they will now be having some restrictions that we just can't avoid going forward. Actually, you know what? Um, scrap that. I'm pretty sure we will let Porsche um, uh, let us change our mind. <laughs> Absolutely, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I will, we'll, we'll keep an open mind and um, yeah, we'll be happy to find out ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's never a better chance to, to drive such a vehicle to learn about it, right? Yeah. But before we get there, <laughs> in the meantime, um, let's speak about a different type of car, which actually um, 
or in my mind has always um, tried to deliver a similar um, a similar experience, a reduced experience. I'm talking about the GT86, mm-hmm. maybe the new version will be called GR86 to uh, yeah to fit with the naming strategy. Mm-hmm. So the previous version, oh, we know that the BRZ, the new BRZ, will not come to Europe, but yep. the Toyota will bring the GR86. Um, I have always been a great fan of these cars, just because of the statement, right? Um, we want you to shift gears yourself. We want you to. We put um, skinny tires so you can uh, play with the rear a little. How do you feel about these cars? I am super excited about these vehicles. I did when when the GT86 came to Europe, the first generation. Um, I also went to the Toyota dealer. They had these open days, so you could take a test drive. Obviously, it's still public road and everything. Um, but I, I was interested in the car. I am still interested in that car. Um, it's fun. I mean, a lot of people when, when they read the figures like 200 horsepower, what is that? I mean, in comparison to modern hatches where they have like up to 400 or even more horsepower, it's not a lot. I agree. Uh, there's no turbocharger or, or supercharger on it, which I would have really loved to see. But fortunately, the aftermarket was able to um, help us out on that. So there are turbocharged GDA6s and as well as BR sets around. Um, again, I really like the vehicle. It's small, it's nimble, it's quite simple in the way it's done. That's why um, Toyota and Subaru are able to keep the prices low. So it's the perfect vehicle if someone is interested in maybe start some drifting or even if, if they're on a budget, um, you can get those cars reasonably priced. Um, they're Asian vehicles, meaning they are normally quite robust, they will not break down so easily. You can drive quite far with them in terms of how long they will last. So I think already when the car came out, people were saying that this is going to be, I wouldn't call it a classic, but it's going to be a vehicle that especially the, the petrol heads or the tuning fans will love. It's cheap, it's affordable, you get tons of parts for them. So having said that, I think it's an awesome vehicle. It has a bit of a niche similar like the Mazda MX-5. It's just its own category. You can't really find in that price range that those vehicles are sold something similar or even something as exciting as this car. I always, to be honest, I always wish these, these actually the MX-5 is a similar example. I always wish um, they would, they would uh, encourage manufacturers to join this class of cars because you can have more, you can have more horsepower, more luxuries, everything. But what they are saying actually, you don't need more, at least not to have more fun. Yeah. And I think that for me it was also, I mean, also other things, but it was also a little eye-opening, right? Because they're saying, well, you could have 500, 600, 700 horsepower, but how much can you make of that? Absolutely. And they're saying, well, you have only 200 horsepower, but you can wrestle the car, you can throw yeah. it around, you can do whatever you want with it and you can exploit its limits. Yes. Basically, it's a, basically the James May of cars, right? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> when he said that, yeah, he can have more fun with the Fiat Panda than with the Lamborghini because he can exploit the limits of the Panda. Right. And I think there's certainly some truth to this. So I'm also looking forward to the new version, which is probably going to be a little quicker and yes. it's going to be easier to drift because maximum torque is lower. Right. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. Definitely um, cars to look forward to. And GR is doing a lot of right uh, things right right now with the Yaris. 
now with the GT86. I am really looking forward to what they have in Pinto. Actually, I agree, yes. Um, I mean, in general, I mean, if we exclude the, the GTR, then, um, yeah, maybe the 370Z, there wasn't much going on in the Japanese um, yeah. landscape, but yeah, Toyota seems to be back. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff going on in, in Japan in general. We obviously on, on Nissan's side we have the rumored uh, R36 coming out soon, which is supposed to be a hybrid. Um, we have the 400Z that is kind of being prototyped right now. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to the new things that Japan will deliver. And of course on how good or bad they will be able to deliver. Because let's be honest, who thought that a three-cylinder engine um, can be so exciting in, like, in the GR Yaris? That is true, yeah. That is very true. So even though we are all a bit hesitant in terms of yeah, all the big engines, the big displacements, they are disappearing right now. Um, but I'm surprised that there are still also things that we haven't thought about can be so exciting, like the GRERs. I just like to take it as an example because I never expected this thing to be so nice, so good as apparently it is. Yeah, I mean it's not not actually possible. I mean, you remember those times as you are when. Um, you would you would get a new uh, Mitsubishi Lancer every yeah. year and a new Subaru Impreza every year and, uh, and or maybe the Ford Escort Cosworth right. and cars like that and those times were definitely gone. I mean, mm -hmm. there were no uh, there were no um, specials like that anymore and now Toyota has basically brought them back. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, definitely a very good point. Um, I think that concludes the. December news part, um, we had to catch up quite a lot. Right. Um, now let's talk about a few more recent items, um, which the first one I think is uh, talking about engines and Mazda a little. Now, maybe I'm pretty sure you have heard about it. So they are talking about having an inline six in the new Mazda six. Can you do that? Is that is that is that illegal? Is that possible? <laughs> Can you do that? I mean, I don't see a reason why not. I mean, especially Mazda in that sense, um, they have shown that they have quite the capabilities to do something that no one else does. Um, I mean, of course, if you look back in history, it's definitely a rotary engine. Um, Mazda, the only one that kept it alive. Um, now they might bring it back as a range extender in the MX-30. Um, and also on the inline 6, I mean, they've shown with the um, Skyactiv way or, or technology um, that they, they can get a lot more efficiency out of the normal engines, let's call it normal in that case. And also now with the um, self-combusting petrol engine uh, that they introduced, I think it's the Skyactiv X. Yes. Um, again, they have shown that there are possibilities and ways to make a more or less common engine more efficient. Mm -hmm. Now speaking of the six, the inline six, um, I definitely think that might work. Um, also, Master has been doing uh, a couple things right. Um, obviously, they also have done things wrong, especially by discontinuing the MPS series. Um, that was one of those exciting, or the two generations they had, they were really exciting. Um, they discontinued it. The strategy changed. But again, um, I'm always a fan of having a new player with something new on the market. Of course, there's a risk that it will not turn out very good. We never know. 
but um, knowing master knowing what they have done in the past and, and how they have done things in the past i am actually quite positive that it will be a good engine now of course it will not be an engine that will play in a league like an m4 or anything like that but um, it's definitely a good chance uh, a new basis at least um, that who knows we might see a performance model again in the near future one thing that I like about Mazda, and I always have liked about Mazda, is that they do things their own way. Absolutely. Maybe they can do that because they're smaller, or maybe they just have a different philosophy, maybe they're just stubborn, but for me, from the outside, I always liked that they did things their own way. When people were um, hyperventilating and they needed to um, make their engine smaller, uh, Mazda just continued with their, yeah. with their own way. So, I'm definitely looking forward to how the company will um, evolve and I think they're doing things right and they're Absolutely. doing things their way which gives them an identity and of course identity maybe does not make you money but um, yeah for for the petrol heads for us it's I think refreshing that they are doing things just their way and the way they think is is right. Absolutely. I mean one thing that, that I really like about Masters is that even in terms of design language they're definitely going their own way. Um, whereas today, if you look at, let's say, 10 cars, uh, let's take any, uh, let's take, I don't know, like any limousine, any modern limousine, and I'm sure if you put, the, especially within the Volkswagen group, you have Skoda, you have Audi, you have Volkswagen, um, they will, all three of them will bring out the sedan with different names, but they look more or less the same, except maybe some grills and some lights and stuff. Um, but we have these big alliances nowadays where, of course, due to reasons, or cost reasons especially, they reuse the platform as much as possible. So um, what, how we perceive that is just everything looks very, very similar. Yes. And there I really like, um, I mean, excluding all the, the special car producers that they only do exotic things, um, but from the mass market producers, uh, I really like Mazda for their diversity, that they have a different design language than anyone else, that they do things their own way, that, that's really making them, at least for me, very sympathetic. Mm -hmm. Now, a company that has tried to um, bring the old days back, or bring the whiff of the old days back, is uh, Renault. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are, they are struggling in many, many ways. And um, recently they showed a concept of the, an electric version of the R5. <laughs> I think that is a car that you remember very well, as yeah. do I. Um, it was just the time when I was born, and after I was born, that those cars were super popular. They was, I mean, they were amazing. They were quick and fast. How how does it resonate with you? I mean, um, I, I did have it have a look at it the first time uh, in the German recording, and um, I'm surprised. Definitely, um, I would have not expected Renault to make such a bold move. Um, I, I do remember the R5 in particular quite well because uh, in, in my previous company, uh, our boss had an R5, uh, an old one. Um, and I mean, it's, it's just to look at it, um, to see how it works, it's bonkers. Like, it, it's again, it goes back to what I said on, on uh, Lamborghini before. That was a car that literally just tried to kill you all the time when you were driving it. Um, so obviously the new one will definitely not have that reputation at all. Um, that's probably close to impossible. But I'm, I'm on one side I'm really excited to see someone like Renault, who I'm, I'm not really fond of Renault if I'm honest. Um, I did like the, the Megans uh, RS versions um, when they were still being produced. 
But other than that, I mean, they were always struggling with quality, um, which was not the best, obviously. Um, so I'm, I'm not a big fan of Renault, but obviously making such a move, um, they definitely raise a certain sympathy from my side. And uh, I mean, if that car really comes in, in one way or the other, um, it's definitely something to look at. Now, if that's a car that is really going to be mass produced, I have a little bit of my doubts, but hey, who knows? I mean, diversity is always welcome, right? Yeah, I mean, I wonder if that, if they maybe will be able to spark that that uh, EV hot hatchback, um, yeah. let's say the idea, maybe it's, it's an inception, maybe we will start to get excited about EV hatchbacks, let's, I, let's see. Yes, we will at some point. <laughs> Let's see. Maybe, maybe it will do. <clears throat> maybe it will do for the hatchback market what the Honda E maybe did for the micro or mini hatchback or super mini, however you want to call them these days. Um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward. If it looks like that and it is yeah. going to be reasonably quick, yeah. then uh, yeah, definitely a great idea. Absolutely. So Renault, you did one thing good. <laughs> <laughs> one thing. That one thing. Um, Another company that did one thing maybe not very well is um, SSE. I'm not sure if you uh, heard about the controversy where they apparently cheated with their, in their world record attempt and they fiddled with the, with the recordings and, and post-processing and things. Now, to be honest, I did not really follow up on the scandal because I could not care less mm. about top speeds anymore. But where do you stand on that, on this arms race to 300 and beyond? Yeah, I see it very similar to you. I mean, it's it's one thing that gives you data that you would likely not be able to obtain any other way. Um, but again, like there, there are like two places in this world where, where you can do this, and that's on one side the, the salt lakes in, in the US, and then we have in uh, in Italy this uh, massive circle, like 40 kilometers of water. Nardo. So again, it, I think it's it's. Okay, it's interesting that they do things like that, but does it matter too much? I doubt it. Yeah, I mean to bring to bring one joke from the from the German part when I did the news last week. Um, would any owner of a Bugatti Veyron, of a Chiron, of a Koenigsegg, I mean, what else are cars to go for, or a McLaren Speedtail, would they ever find out if their cars would not go faster than let's say 350? Except maybe some someone in, in Dubai or Abu Dhabi that drives in the in the in the, in the sand, uh, probably not. Yeah. So yeah, it's mostly about yeah bragging rights. It's yeah, of course, exclusivity. Um, yeah, I think I think it has taken absurd. Um, uh, it's taken an absurd uh, way, and I would prefer if people focus more on. On a simpler cars, on cars that are more fun to drive, but then probably they those don't sell very well. I guess so. Yeah, so it's uh, it's about the YouTube ability of a, <laughs> of a car, right? <laughs> but something else with more than a thousand horsepower uh, was announced uh, recently, which uh, is Tesla's mm. Model S Plaid version with a thousand one hundred horsepower and a rectangular um, steering. Steering rectangle? I mean, yeah, it's not really a wheel. It's not a wheel, that's true. And somehow it's legal. Apparently it's legal. I've um, read so, yeah. How is that possible? But And okay, if it is possible, does it even matter? Do we need a car like that? 
No, I mean, again, let, let's be realistic. No one, uh, almost no one on this planet will be able to use the full 1100 horsepower all the time. Yes, uh, again, if you're accelerating somewhere in the, in the salt lakes or so, yeah, you might use it for a while or drag racing, sure. Um, but again, like in, in, in everyday's use, uh, you'll definitely not need 1100 horsepower. You probably never even use 500 horsepower, if you're honest. Except maybe if you're in a German Autobahn, but also there it's quite restricted in terms of usage. Um, yeah, so having said that, um, of course, I mean, it's, it's marketing-wise, it makes sense. Uh, Tesla can claim that they had a moment where they produced 1100 horsepower. The problem with the electric battery cars, especially, they will not be able to hold the power all the time. As the, the charge gets lower, um, they are not able to produce as much power anymore. But still, I mean, it's it's one thing that people will remember uh, with the plant mode. And, um, is it so useful? No, not really. But hey, they are in the news. Um, we talk about them, others are talking about them. So I guess they, they reached their goal. Yeah, probably. And of course, I mean, there will be a couple people that will pay for this uh, premium. They will get that and uh, they're happy with it. But again. Yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of um, selling, I think um, Tesla has a certain community without trying to be. Um, That's true. Uh, I mean, trying to be disrespectful or anything but I think they have a strong uh, fan, fan base and people who, uh, who like their products so I think they won't have trouble to ship those units mm -hmm. and there's also probably this um, the race against the Taycan from Porsche um, I mean they have there have been rumors that they have been testing the Model S on the Nordschleife for quite mm -hmm. some time so yeah if, once that prestige on the other side they probably will be able to shift the units and um, yeah the business case is probably reasonable um, of course, I guess our opinion is that it probably doesn't matter too much. Oh, really? Yeah. Let's let's leave Tesla <laughs> then. Um, let them go on with the thousand horsepower car with the with the steering rectangle. And let's talk about some more reasonable day-to-day -day stuff. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, um, legislation, um, some laws have changed uh, or have been uh, are active since the first of January. Now, one of them was, and well, how do you say that in German? Because you can pass on the right, but you cannot overtake on the right. right. Um, what do you think? Is that reasonable? Is it something that is going to change much? Um, should we have gone further? So in general, I like it because, um, I don't know how it is in other countries, obviously, but especially here in Switzerland, it is often the case that in people's perception, the right lane is basically just there for trucks because they're slow and can only drive 80 kph basically. Um, so, so people's tendency is to not drive at all on the most right lane. So they'd rather stick to the middle one and then the left one is to overtake. But then again, if someone is overtaking a car that is driving on the 19 and he's driving on the 21, uh, that's going to take quite a while until he passed him enough that he can go back to the right lane if they go at all to the right lane. So I think we had this, this the tendency of the problems to be that um, either there's not enough lanes that people can drive quicker. Well, I wouldn't say that they should, but at least uh, to overtake someone safely. Um, and with this change of legislation that you can now pass on the right lane, 
Um, personally, I definitely like it. And uh, one, one road uh, in particular that I, I observed it a couple times already myself, where it is actually useful, is, uh, and you know it quite well, is when we drive uh, from the, the highway that passes the airport and we enter the, the northern ring around Zurich, um, that's basically for those that don't know it, you have two lanes coming from the left and this lane is coming from the right, they merge into a three-lane road. And basically if you're strictly following the law, the old one, basically as soon as you have the chance to go to the left lane, you were not supposed to pass anyone anymore on the right because that was strictly forbidden at all. And now with this change, at least you are able now to accelerate um, to 100, which is the allowed speed there. And even if you have people on the middle lane where it merges and that are only driving maybe 90 or 95, um, at least you can pass them until they're all up to speed like you are and then you can start going to the left and overtake them as like 500 meters later it goes up to 120 kph. So I, uh, there it's, it's definitely one of those examples where it's beneficial and I think in the long term um, either people will start to remember that hey I can actually drive on the right lane as well it's just not for the trucks. On the other hand, um, it, this, it gives a certain dynamic that you can now use on the road. What I didn't like too much about it is, um, and that's most often the case in my opinion, the, um, how the law is being described. For me, it's not enough. Because as you said, they differentiate between passing someone on the right lane and overtaking someone on the right lane. Now we all know what overtaking means is you go to that lane, you pass and you go back to the other lane. Now there are scenarios where um, you, you can't do it any other way. So my question there would be when does the police in this case consider um, for how long is it an overtake or when is it starting to be a passing? Because again, staying on the same road um, a couple kilometers later where we enter the tunnel, um, it merges down to two lanes. And again, like with how the traffic has been, everyone is in the middle lane you can still pass on the left lane until, I don't know, maybe 400 meters before the tunnel, where then it merges. So you see a lot of people, they all merge to the middle, to the middle, to the middle, way before the end of the left lane. But on the right lane, there are only a handful of cars that leave towards uh, Regensdorf. Yes. So what I'm typically doing um, when it starts to go down to 100 and then later to 80, I am moving to the right lane because there is literally no one driving in the right lane. And I just keep my speed and literally pass everyone. But now, what, what would it mean is, in theory, the first couple vehicles I could be taking over because nobody knows if I'm going to merge back into the left lane or not. So there is, for example, a, a rule missing that says if you stay for, I don't know, five minutes on the right lane or for five kilometers, whatever, like the direction at least, when or for how long does it stay that you are passing and when does it start to be uh, overtaking? I have no idea. I think never. I think you have to stay on the right lane forever <laughs> until you reach wherever you want to go. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my opinion there is, it sh I mean, it's a good start, yeah. but I think it should go, at some point it should go further. Yeah. Um, as I was saying, I think it should have gone a little further or it should go a little further at some point. Um, we have a pretty strict speed limit mm -hmm. so I think even if you and you have to check the lane anyway when you're changing lanes so I don't think it would it would be too dangerous if we would allow overtaking on the right let's skip the 
the change um, merging lanes because it's not very interesting. Um, let's talk about a change for bike riders. Mm -hmm. um, so um, now at a uh, at an intersection when it's when the signal is red, on your bicycle you are allowed to turn right carefully, mm -hmm. of course. Uh, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, I know that in the US, I'm not sure if it's a nationwide um, law or if it's just specific states, but I know that you can turn right in your car at a junction if it's if the signal is red. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on that one? I, I like the, that principle a lot. Um, I've been in the US myself a couple times, um, I was also driving there. And uh, it's just keeping traffic so much fluent. It's just like it's flowing a lot better because, um, I mean, in the US in general, you have to say that the roads are, there are more lanes, they're wider, there's more space in general. So compared to Switzerland, where our roads are typically quite narrow, especially in the cities, you often have one lane that both goes straight and to the right. Um, so the, the trap amples are, are regulated that it's like, Super conservative, meaning when it's green you can go both directions, but there's no separation to go left, uh, right, or straight. So in, in those situations, I think it would help a lot that at least the people that want to turn right, that they can at any moment turn right, if traffic allows it, of course. Um, so you will have less people in that queue that wants to go straight, um, because the ones that want to turn right, they would already be gone. So I, I definitely think it's a good idea. Um, at least for the implementation in Switzerland, um, I assume, knowing our government, that they just want to have some, some figures, they want to make some experience, if whatever other figures internationally are in existence, um, that they also apply to us, because we are always a bit special there in Switzerland. So um, I could very well imagine that they are now doing a test, at least with bicycles. I thought that motorbikes have the same principle now, but I would need to read it up again, I'm not sure. Um, but I think they want to gain some experience from that, see what problems arise with that, what maybe people are doing wrong, where they lack education or whatever. And once it proves that it really improves the flow on the streets, um, that they will also start to allow it for cars in the future. Yeah, I think it makes sense because I think it's it's cheap in a sense that it's not dangerous. I think it's a it's easy to implement. Yeah. It's uh, it doesn't require I think too much. Mm, it doesn't need too much. It doesn't take too much effort to to implement. That's right. Um, so um, yeah, I think it will make a whole lot of sense. Um, but let's see. And just to make things short, just to to, to assert it. So it is in your car. You're not allowed as of today and this year and probably for the foreseeable future. <laughs> you are not allowed to turn right if the signal is red. Um, that's only for uh, for bicycles and only if there's a signal uh, if there's a sign next to the to the to the lights that uh, uh, with the arrow yep. that you can do that um, legally and always be careful of course yeah <laughs> um, yeah I think this concludes um, the news uh, the February issue mm -hmm. thank you very much for uh, for accompanying me it was much more interesting for me and I'm I'm pretty sure it will be also much more interesting for for the for the viewers. To yeah, hear opinions because this is this is what it's about. It's about opinions, not about the the, the, the facts. Um, 
we just like to um, every now and then talk about our favorite uh, hobby. Um, yeah, thank you very much for agreeing to join me. Um, yeah, the last word is yours. <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah, so um, first of all, thanks for having me as well. Uh, it was a pleasure to to be part of, of your. Well, I don't call it a show, but if you form it, um, I definitely want to do it again if a chance arrives. Um, for the viewers, I mean, um, I would like to thank you for um, joining us for these discussions. Um, and I would encourage you all, um, if you have a question to me, if you have a question to doubt, to both of us or, or to whoever, um, feel free to comment. Um, I'm also definitely going to read through the comments and answer as much as possible. Of course, it's always interesting to hear your opinion, um, what, what, what your thoughts are on a certain topic, so feel free to comment. I'm really looking forward to your opinions as well. And I'm definitely looking forward to, to be back in another iteration. Mm, gladly. Yes, uh, one more, uh, what they said, yes, please um, yeah, let us know what you think. Um, we have talked lots of rubbish, so correct us on that. <laughs> um, or yeah, maybe have additional information, or um, you want to correct us on, on something. Um, yeah. Do leave a comment, write an email, um, and we'll discuss that. Maybe let's yeah, maybe let's discuss discuss a few of, uh, of the comments, the emails mm -hmm. in the next uh, in the next month's show. Sure. And um, yeah, looking forward to have you back then. Same for me. Thank you. And you, of course. Thank you very much. And see you soon. See you soon. Bye, guys. Thanks, everyone. Bye. -bye.